morning. Good morning, everyone, this morning. Good to see you. My name is Ben Harris. I'm the pastor here at New City. We are continuing through a series that we've been going through the majority of this year entitled The Power to Change the World and seeing through the book of Acts chapter by chapter the reality that Jesus is the power to change the world. Only he can save the world. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to open it up and head to the book of Acts in the New Testament. And we are going to take on Acts chapter 13 this morning, and I'll read for us in just a minute Acts chapter 13 and verses 1 through 12. Uh, Acts chapter 13 is most often referred to that chapter uh, as the birthplace or the birth moment of global missions. Um, Acts 13 is going to be where Paul and Barnabas, two names that perhaps you are familiar with, Paul and Barnabas are going to go on their very first missions trip. And, And really in the history of Christianity, in the history of the world, this is sort of the first ever missions trip. And you can sort of imagine putting yourselves in in their shoes as first ever missionaries, going to countries that you've never been to. Uh, Perhaps they speak languages and there are customs that, that you don't know. But on top of that, you have this realization in your head. The people that I'm going to see have never heard the good news of the gospel. For Paul and Barnabas, the vast majority of the cities and the places that they will go Their sharing of the gospel, this is the very first time that people are hearing the good news of salvation and new life in Jesus Christ. Uh, A comparable experience would be, I remember my very first missions trip. I was in 10th grade. Uh, It was a joke, not comparable at all. But I remember being in 10th grade and we went to Ontario, Canada. We went to the northern end of Canada um, to a small town called Moose Factory. They do not create mooses there, but there are moose, moosen, mooses, mises. And um, we got to eat some, got to sample some. It tasted good. Um, and we were there visiting the, the Cree First Nation uh, that has for centuries inhabited that upper James Bay area of the world. Um, we went there with a, to, to visit a small MTW or Mission to the World church plant that was in the area. And uh, really our, our purpose in going, this youth group missions trip, was to build relationship with some of the other teenagers uh, that were there in that small town. Um, and to spend time with them to uh, do vacation Bible school. And we also got to do a little bit of construction and help remodel uh, the church facility, church building that they had there on site. Um, I learned the hard way on that trip what the title of the book, The Ugly American, um, I learned what it was all about because I was the ugly American. One night we were uh, building relationships with the teenagers there in town and uh, we got a volleyball game together and we randomly decided to play USA versus Canada and uh, I was highly focused on winning. If you know my son, he got it from me. Um, so we're playing this game and, and the US pulled out the, uh, the victory and I immediately as a 10th grader started chanting out loud, USA, USA, USA. And my youth pastor who's appalled at this moment comes over and he's like, Ben, be quiet. Um, I, I think you may have missed the overall goal and purpose of this missions trip to Canada. It's to share Jesus, not to make them feel bad that you just beat them in volleyball. Um, so I, I learned a little bit about sensitivity and, and re- keeping the main thing the main thing while I was there. But on that same trip, I also had, this was the very first experience that I ever had one-on-one sharing the gospel with someone, with another teenager. Uh, Her name was Heather Bagan. And I remember sharing the gospel with her and actually getting to pray with her a prayer to receive Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior. And that experience for me really changed uh, my perspective on, on who I was and what God's calling for my life was. But far more importantly, it changed the trajectory of her life. Because in that moment, she went from death to life when she accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Here in Acts chapter 13, 
Paul and Barnabas get to go do the same thing for the very first time, and we're going to see what the Holy Spirit does in and through them and what they learn along the way. So let's look at Acts chapter 13 now. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read all the way through verse 12, and I'll be reading the English Standard Version this morning. The Bible says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them. Elymas opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray together and ask for his blessing over his word. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that it is inerrant, that it is powerful to change lives. And Father, again, we submit ourselves to it. We thank you that in it contained is the good news of the gospel of salvation, Lord, available to all people by your grace and your mercy alone. And so we give you all the praise and all the glory this morning. Father, our eyes are fixed upon you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This morning, I want to offer to you from Acts chapter 13, four applications of global missions uh, that we really are given to us for the first time here in Acts chapter 13. The first of these four is this, worship is the fuel of missions. Worship is the fuel of missions. And we see this most particularly in verses one through three of our text this morning. I want you to notice right off the bat that the Holy Spirit's co-missioning or commissioning of Barnabas and Saul among the church there at Antioch took place as they worshiped. As the believers are there gathering, praising the Lord Jesus, this is when the Holy Spirit commissions them. The Bible tells us specifically that they're actually doing three things as they worship, that they are worshiping the Lord Jesus, which we can certainly assume for many passages involves what we just did together, singing praises to him, The Bible also says specifically that they were fasting and praying. This is a reminder to us, a reality we see in Old and New Testament, that corporate gathered worship, what we are doing here right now, is fundamental, is central to how we as God's people know God and follow God. Many passages speak to this. One of my favorite is in the book of Colossians, a letter that Paul wrote instructing the church at Colossae how to do this thing. And the Bible says this in Colossians 3, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we have this, this command to worship. We also have here this example of fasting and prayer. Uh, if fasting is new to you, fasting is really setting aside of something that is necessary to your life. Most often it is food, though it does not have to be. But the setting aside of, of food so that you might, for a season, focus more so in on the Lord through prayer, remembering that he is what we need most of all and asking in that prayer time, Lord, what would you have me do? Who would you have me be? To draw near to the Lord by giving up the normal to go to the Lord, remembering that even more than the daily things like food, what I need daily is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that they were praying. And, and to be clear, praying is talking to God. Prayer is offering up our praises and our petitions or our needs based upon what God has spoken to us in his word in the Bible and coming to him anytime. The Lord is always available 24-7, 365. The Lord will hear our prayers. And not only does he promise to hear them, he promises to answer them better than we can ask them. Not only though is, is worship the fuel of missions, I wanna to suggest to you that worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. Uh, in 1993, John Piper very famously wrote a book entitled, Let the Nations Be Glad. And this extremely well-known passage, I want to read to you now from his book that reminds us this reality of what missions is about. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal in missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, Psalm 67. But worship is also the fuel of missions. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord, I will sing praise to thy name, Psalm chapter nine. Missions begins and ends in worship. Now here at New City Church, we talk about the four strategies by which we live our lives together as a church to execute Jesus' mission, the great co-mission that he gave us in Matthew chapter 28. And those four you'll see on the screen behind me are worship, grow, serve, and reach. And notice on the screen that, that worship of God, both corporately together and daily, personally, in your own walk with the Lord in word and prayer, is to be the center of our lives. And that is because Jesus is the center of our lives. And if we sort of push him off to the side, then everything else will begin to self-destruct. Worship actually fuels these other three ways or strategies that we live our lives in Christ. That is growing together in our relationship with Christ, serving one another here within the church, pointing others towards Christ, and then reaching out to those who have not yet heard the gospel by sharing the good news of Jesus. And those three, the growing, 
the, the reaching, the serving, they all feed one another as well. But what we see here, this reality is if we try to work for the Lord without worshiping, without Christ at the center, we will slip very easily into sort of a legalistic self-righteousness because it becomes about me and what I can do. But if we try to worship without work, if we try to worship without working unto him, we will again become self-centered and consumeristic because now worship and all things going on at church are about me and what I can get out of it rather than being a part of God's much bigger plan and story and being used to serve. So the Bible here reminds us that worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. Number two, and this, we see this in verses two through four, the Holy Spirit is the author of missions. Worship is the fuel of missions. Well, the Holy Spirit is the author of missions. In verse two, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then again, two verses later in verse four, the Bible says that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Yes, the believers in Antioch prayed and and laid hands, but it is at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit that is sending them out. God in his goodness and mercy plans and calls his people to the work and to the mission that he has for them. Uh, In youth group, at the very end of youth group during our Bible study this week, we took a look at Ephesians chapter two and verse 10, which is very uh, apropos to our discussion now. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's the payoff. God did not look down at Paul and Barnabas and go, oh, those guys look pretty good. I better, I better snap them up before Google or Apple gives them a better offer sheet. I, I gotta make sure I get them in. No, 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 very much the opposite because we remember that Paul, formerly called Saul, was a huge mess. And Saul was on nobody's list of like, this is a guy I want as an elder in my church. I want this guy teaching kids ministry at my church. He was a murderer of Christians. And this, again, shows us the vast reality of God's goodness and grace that he could change, save, and rearrange Paul's life. Look at how uh, Paul summarizes. This is another letter of his, the book of Galatians, which was written to the church at Galatia. And in Galatians chapter one, thinking back about his former life and what God had done in his life, Paul writes this. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, and he goes on for the next three verses to describe how God called him into this particular ministry of sharing the gospel with the Gentile world. Understand here the reality for us today. God's grace to broken sinners like me and like you is so good that he calls you, he regenerates you, he justifies you, he sanctifies you, and he will one day glorify you, and your contribution was nothing. It is his goodness and his grace in you. That's why anyone can be saved because none of us deserve it, none of us can earn it, none of us can accomplish it. But when the Holy Spirit fills us, it then brings us from death to life. It empowers us to do things that we never could do on our own. And that's where the good works come from. I'm not earning my salvation by doing good things, but rather out of thankfulness and response to his grace and mercy in my life, 
knowing that I will continue to sin and make mistakes every day, I desire now to follow after Jesus. I desire now to do the things that Jesus did and to do the things that he would have me do. Am I Jesus? No. Am I perfect? No. But by his grace, I want to follow after him. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you, speaking of God's people, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim. It's the same word as preach. It's the same word as to declare or to evangelize that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we as believers are saying, this is what Jesus has done for me. Can I share with you this same good news so that you can experience it too? God has a perfect plan for his people and he calls you and me to follow him in it, to join his mission. And let's be clear here, if global missions is going to have any success, it must always be by the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit and not of ourselves, right? Again, the power to change the world is not me. It's not our church. It's not any one of us. It is the Lord. So if I undertake the, the, the task of saving the world, I will inevitably fail and nothing will happen. Here in Acts, what we see is without the Holy Spirit, there would be no miracles. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be not a single conversion. Without the Holy Spirit, believers would not faithfully evangelize. But we are invited in and called to God's mission here on earth, one that God executes. I can't change a heart. I can't even change my own heart. But God is in the business of bringing dead hearts to life, and he does it, and he saves people every single day. Holy Spirit is the author of missions. Number three, we see here in this passage, and this is really in verses two all the way through verses five, going and sending is the call of missions. Worship is the fuel, the Holy Spirit is the author, and going and sending, both going and sending is the call of missions. Take a look again at a picture behind me. This is Paul's first missionary journey map uh, that is on the screen. In this trip, they went first to Seleucia, then Salamis, and Paphos. And if we go into Acts chapter 14, that will cover the remainder of this Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey as they then go on to Perga, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and Italia before returning home. This mission trip that they're on took them two years, from 46 to 48 AD. Paul would take a total of four missionary journeys. The fourth and final missionary journey was uh, his desire to go to the city of Rome and share the gospel there. And around 60 AD, uh, we believe that Paul was executed, probably under Nero. Uh, that was thus the end of his missionary journeys and the end of his life. Is my mic cutting in and out at all? No? Okay. If it does, I'll, I'll switch over. Um, John Piper and many other pastors have summarized here uh, the command that we see in Scripture, both here and other places. If you want to boil down the command, the call to global missions, it is this. Go, send, or disobey. Go, send, or disobey. First, think about the, the sending aspect, because this is what we're seeing here at the beginning of this passage. The word missionary is a Latin-based word. It comes from mito, which means to send. What we are doing is sending out. And so the mission of the church here is the sending out of believers 
by the loving plan of the Father, the commissioning of Jesus the Son, and in the power of the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the whole world. I would give you a practical challenge, and that is this. If anybody in our church or any other church, if they are a believer in Jesus Christ and desire to share the gospel, if they come to you and say, I want to go on a mission trip this summer or this year or for the next two years, will you help financially support me to get there? The answer should always be yes. Regardless of all the other things that we say, man, I've got to have my Starbucks at two o'clock every day, to make the commitment to say, when someone asks me, will I Will I be involved in helping send this fellow believer on missions? The answer is yes. And then I'm gonna trust God to give out of the abundance of what he has given me that there's always gonna be something there that I can do to help send them out. Notice here in Acts that the church's role was in sending Paul and Barnabas. And they do that with prayer, with active obedience to the Holy Spirit. And then they, they lay their hands on them as they pray. And, and we see this a number of times in the New Testament, this, this command or encouragement to lay hands on people or the elders are to lay hands on people and to pray with them. I've never thought about it before, uh, but one of the reasons that they do this is because in the Old Testament, we have this repeated pattern where the priest would place or lay their hands uh, on the sacrifice before they would sacrifice uh, whatever animal as a part of their worship and looking forward to that day that Jesus would come and be the ultimate sacrifice. The priest, in putting his hand on that animal, was identifying with that animal, remembering the reality that, that the picture here was my sin was being placed on the animal, that there's a connection taking place. Fast forward here to the New Testament. As I'm placing my hands on Paul and Barnabas as I'm a part of that church, I'm identifying with them. Uh, supporting and sending out is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. Not only am I giving financially, but I'm going to pray while they're gone. I'm going to pray as they go. Uh, I'm going to stay involved and encourage them by whatever means the Lord would allow me so that I can be an active participant in the, the sending. But the second thing is the going. Send, go. And you may be in a position where you have found yourself saying, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do as long as it's not global missions. You ever been there? I will go to this place, I'll talk to this person, I'll step into this uncomfortable situation, but I am not going overseas to tell people about the gospel. That is outside of my box. And I would just challenge you that the scripture gives us a much more beautiful response. And, and to just cut that phrase out and begin trading it out for a different one. Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, right? Here am I, send me. Whatever you want, Lord, here am I, send me. I don't know how I'm gonna get there. I don't know the language. I don't know what I'm doing. But I know that you have the power to change the world. And that's what, for the rest of my life, that's what I want to be a part of. Whether you're 15 or 51 or whatever age you might be, here I am, send me. Mission of the World is our denomination's mission-sending agency. And two years ago, 2020, uh, our denomination's mission-sending agency basically set a new 10-year goal. And the, and the goal, again, beginning two years ago, was to send an additional 1% of each of our church's membership into full-time, long-term missions by 2030. 10-year goal. Uh, the PCA as a whole, Presbyterian Church in America, our denomination, is about 370,000 members here in the United States. So the goal is that we would have another 1%, another 3,700 
believers that would be sent out into global missions now in the next eight years. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Uh, my Bible teacher in high school used to have this phrase. It drove me crazy at the time. I knew what he was saying. I just didn't really want to hear it. But he would say this, um, the life you change may be your own. Get that? The life you change may be your own. And, and he was kind of prompting me towards different things. I, I don't want to hear it. The life you change may be your own. So the idea here is go share the gospel down the street and around the world, but recognize, don't estimate, underestimate what God might want to do in you. Because God's love is not just a one-time moment. He saved me, boom, I'm done. I got my fire insurance. I'm moving along with my life as I planned it. No, no, no. God's grace is so good that he wants to continue to grow and shape you and, and move you more into the image of Jesus Christ by his mercy in your life. Um, I experienced this in a, in a different way. Um, in college, I started going on missions trips. I, I went to Brazil twice, my, my sophomore and my junior year, and then to Bolivia briefly my senior year. And I started to learn things. Not only did I, I want God to use me, but God began to, to change me. Um, I had to learn about trusting God with fundraising because fundraising is hard and it's awkward as you're asking people for money to help send you on this trip to share the gospel in another place. And, and I remember being challenged because God provided. He did things that I couldn't entirely explain. I remember being uh, in my dorm room sophomore year, and somebody slipped uh, an envelope under my door, which is not a normal experience. And I opened up the envelope, and there was $500 cash in it, which I promise was not a normal experience. And to this day, I, I don't know who gave it, but it said across the front for Ben Harris for mission trip to Brazil. God provided, and he does it in ways that I can't entirely understand. Uh, we went to Brazil. They speak Portuguese in Brazil. I don't know Portuguese. How could I possibly be, be effective in sharing the gospel? And what I learned in those moments, and I would challenge you with as well, is God is so much bigger than language. And, and the ways that we are able to share and show the gospel with our, with our broken efforts of, of words and through actions and through translators and all these different things, the gospel went forward despite the fact that I was limited because the gospel is not defined by my abilities. It's defined by God's abilities. And my limitations are not limitations for him. Then I went to Mexico City for two months in the summer before my senior year of college. And I, uh, during the day, studied and learned Spanish. And during the evening, we went out and did ministry of, of various types. And I learned, again, what it looked like to share the gospel. And God changed me. Um, he taught me how to pray, really, for the first time in my life. And I learned how to spend an hour each afternoon up on the roof of the house that I lived in just in dedicated prayer, a whole hour. And because I found myself in a situation where I needed God's help more than ever before, that hour of prayer just went like that. Uh, I, I learned for the first time what it felt like to actually be hungry. Now, I don't mean spiritually, I mean physically. Um, our, the pastor that we live with would, would forget to feed us for several days at a time, and I would be three, four days hungry and still doing things, and that was uncomfortable. And it taught me something, because there's a whole lot of people that go to bed every night and feel that same exact experience. God was changing me and moving in me. Um, right after I got out of college, I went to Ecuador. And I remember the first time that I went to Ecuador, uh, what blew my mind on that trip was just the spiritual warfare and, and the realities of, of darkness that are here on this planet and seeing the good news of the gospel can't come and change small villages, seeing people come from, from death 
to life. Uh, the third time I went to Ecuador a few years later, it was another element in my learning because what I got to do that time was uh, made it even less about me. I was now training up and discipling and equipping other youth groupers. So now I'm a young adult and I'm teaching these kids how to do what I used to do. So now they're leading the songs at VBS and they're sharing the gospel with kids and they're doing the work and they're doing the construction. And I got to watch these, these young teenagers, a young McCartney Deaner learning how to share the gospel and do global missions. And for me, it was a chance to learn how to not make it about me and how to equip others to do that, that good work. Now here we are, it's 2022, and God has given New City Church the nation of Cuba. And we have this church planting movement, Los Pinos Nuevos. And we are a part of that group that is planting churches all over the island. And since COVID hit, there has really been no access, no actual physical access to the island but things are beginning to open up. And so I'm super excited to share with you that this week I've heard that we are planning now um, a, a vision trip to go down there January 13th to 16th of this next year um, as they slowly begin to reopen and allow people to come back in. But our brothers and sisters there have continued to work and toil in the gospel and we wanna be a part of what they are doing around the world, not just in our own backyard. So the Holy Spirit has called us, all of us, to carry the gospel around the world to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And the Lord says to us, go, sin, or disobey. Fourth and finally, we see in verses 6 through 13 of this passage, which is another one of those like, wow, what just happened kind of moments in Scripture. Verses 6 through 13, faith is the response to missions. Faith is the response to missions because missions is the sharing of the gospel throughout the world. Faith is the response for all of us. When these missionaries arrive at Paphos, which is the capital of the island nation of Cyprus, they encounter two very different fellows. The first is Sergius Paulus, the Roman proconsul of Cyprus. He was what we might describe as a seeker. He's dissatisfied with what the world was offering him, and he could see that clearly there was something more. There's something spiritual to this life, and so he is looking for spiritual answers, but he has not yet found Jesus. And this would explain the second man that we meet, who is a false prophet named Elymas, or Bar-Jesus, and Bar-Jesus is usually translated son of Jesus. There are a number of places in Scripture where we'll see somebody's name, Bar-so-and-so, and it generally means son of so-and-so. Uh, this guy is not the son of Jesus. He is perhaps borrowing Jesus' name in order to add some, some mystique and some credibility to his false mission. Elymas was actively deceiving the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, with a false spiritualism that appeared to be the real thing. Very much the same thing happens in our culture today. Again, spiritual warfare is real. It happened then, it happens today. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 4 gives us a particularly important point when it says that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So we ought to be discerning when we hear people say spiritual things. Begin with the obvious. Is Jesus Christ Lord of the universe? Is he fully God? Is he the Savior of the world? And if the answer to any of those sorts of questions is no, then you can keep on moving. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 
Verse nine, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior is always the response to the good news of the gospel, which is the point of missions. Elemis here in this moment, he realizes that the true gospel was a threat to everything that he was about. It was a threat to his darkness and his deception. And so he begins to attack Paul's message and he tries to persuade this proconsul away from faith in Jesus. Vile, gross. And so Paul speaks a harsh truth, but truth nonetheless. And God brings harsh justice, but justice nonetheless to this enemy of the gospel. Paul says, you call yourself son of Jesus, but you are actually a son of the devil. Next week's sermon, I'll do that. You're a son of the devil. The Lord strikes Elymas with blindness, but as a result, we see now Sergius Paulus. And this man, another Gentile, is going to put saving faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Archaeology, interestingly, as it does so often in Old and New Testament, corroborates the testimony of Scripture here. Uh, There is an archaeologist by the name of Sir William Ramsey, who discovered inscriptions bearing Sergius Paulus's name on the island of Cyprus, more than one, and these inscriptions themselves of this Roman politician state that he and his family were believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Why did he believe? Well, the Bible mentions that, that when he saw what happened to Elymas, and you can imagine being a little, a little scared, a little freaked out by that. Oh, I, yeah, I don't want, I don't want that. There's a sense in which when we hear about hellfire and brimstone that makes us go, yeah, I I don't want that scenario for my life either. But notice that that is not the substance of his faith. Rather, it is the teaching of Jesus that when he hears the teachings of Jesus communicated by, by faithful, regular believers like you and me, when he hears the teachings of Jesus, that is what he was astonished by. He hears the good news of the gospel of Jesus. He hears that the offer is for him, that he too can receive not not a fake spirituality or a spiritualism, but life-changing, today life-changing faith in Jesus that will result in an eternity with the God of the universe in heaven. And he goes, yeah, I want that. When he heard who Jesus was and the things that he did and the things that he taught, he said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 10, Another letter to the church there in Rome in verses 9 through 11, he says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, with the heart, one believes and is justified and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Long before we were ever called to global missions, Jesus was on a mission. And it is one that was ordained before the foundations of the world that Jesus, fully God, would come to earth and take on human flesh and become at the same time fully man. He didn't have to, he wanted to. For what purpose? To save you and I. He chose to leave the glories of heaven and come to earth and live among sinfulness with one distinct important point Though everyone he was around was sinful, they literally nailed him to a cross out of their sinfulness. Jesus never committed a single sin. He lived the perfect life. 
And then he went to a cross, a cross that he didn't deserve, a cross that you and I deserved. And he did that to pay the penalty that you and I ought to pay for ourselves. You think being blinded by God's justice is a big deal. It's not. What every single one of us deserve is God's judgment eternally separated from him in a very real place called hell. And yet Jesus came and his mission was and is to make a way so that you can be saved. Salvation isn't just something in the future, although it is something glorious in the future. It begins now. That the moment that you say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I confess it to you. Forgive me of my sins. Put my sins on that cross and give me your perfect life in exchange. New life in Jesus begins in that moment. All your problems will go away and you'll have a Lamborghini in your driveway within 24 hours. Now, I didn't say that. It says you're going to continue to walk in, in a broken world until the day that I come to take you home. Right, we're going to celebrate in a few weeks Jesus' death and resurrection. And we got one more big celebration coming up, don't we? It's one that we're looking forward to. It's when Jesus will come back to take his people home. Not temporarily, not halfway. He's not going to make mistakes. He's not going to slip up. He's not going to be late. He's going to be right on time. When's he coming? I don't know. But he's coming. We know that part. We look forward to that day that he will take us home to be with him forever. That is the point of global missions. If you're a believer in Jesus, he invites you into that mission. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, then I invite you today to say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I want to turn from my sin and I want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. And he will answer that prayer. Let's take a moment and let's pray together now.